You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hey, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Something God has been showing me in this season is how my identity and my purpose in life really got somewhat distorted in the context of the marriage that I was in and how that didn't just start with an unhealthy relationship. That Those are things that shifted just from wrong thoughts about who I was and what my purpose was on this planet, even from a very early age. He's been using my singleness as a season for me to start to reorient that and to discover exactly who I am, who he says I am, you know, what those unique things that he's placed inside of me are, and then how all of those things come together to set me into the community that I'm in, in the time that I'm in right now, with the people that are around me right now, to discover exactly how all those unique pieces fit together to establish my purpose. Today's guest is Carrie Stageberg, and Carrie has an incredible story of recovering her own identity and her own purpose after being in an abusive marriage. Carrie's work focuses quite a bit on understanding our identity and recovering our identity so that we can journey into a new future fully aware, fully alive, and understanding what it is we're here for, why God created us, and what he wants us to do. I've seen that in the last few months especially how really embracing that just completely changes my outlook on life. It affects all the nature of my relationships, and it just gives me such a greater sense of peace. And I know that's something we can all use a whole lot more of. As we get going in this episode, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a wonderful resource for Christian counseling on the go. Counseling is so important for us to be able to kind of know what we don't know. I think that's the biggest thing that I've gained from my time with my counselor from Faithful Counseling because we grow up thinking certain ways and believing certain things about ourselves and the world around us that we don't necessarily always understand are not correct or they're not healthy. And having somebody to reorient that for me has been really affirming and has allowed me to grow despite having some really difficult circumstances. Right now, you can get 10% off your first month if you go to getfaithful.com slash single mom. It's definitely worth the investment in yourself. So have a look at Faithful Counseling. Before the conversation with Carrie, I'd like to tell you a little bit about her. Carrie Trent Stageberg is a speaker and author best known for her work on the book, The Blessing. Carrie is the CEO of Strong Families, a ministry where imperfect people and less than perfect families, just like the Trents, can find resources and encouragement to help you love the Lord yourself and others fully. As a survivor of abuse, Carrie's passion is to help everyone find freedom and healing in Jesus. When she isn't writing or speaking, she spends her time enjoying the beautiful Pacific Northwest with her amazing husband, Joey. As you know, all month on the Christian Single Moms podcast, we're focusing on issues related to domestic violence. And though Carrie's story does specifically have abuse in her background, the lessons that she has learned and the things that she is passionate about are beneficial regardless of whether or not abuse is in your story. I know that in our single season, many of us would like to know that we're doing our best to come out better on the other side. And Carrie's story is a testimony of that. Here's my discussion with Carrie Stageberg. Carrie, thanks for joining me today. I love that you have such an encouraging story 
And it's not the most straightforward story. It sounds like a lot of our stories where, you know, life we thought was going to go in one direction and turned off into another road, but that there's obvious evidence of God's hand in every step of the way in your story. And so I wondered if you would start by just telling us a little bit about your life and how you ended up finding yourself in an abusive marriage. Yeah, that is a great question. Well, I first of all, I am so excited to get to be here and, you know, thank you for letting me come on and get to share my story and, you know, I would say the one thing I really do want to focus on is the hope because there is hope whether it doesn't look like it today, there is always hope and Jesus can bring that hope. And so for me, um, you know, my story of abuse is probably a lot like other people where it I never planned on being in an abusive relationship, didn't think it could happen to me. I I wasn't even familiar with the fact, you know, I thought that was something that happened in really rare cases. It wasn't very common. I, I just had no paradigm for abuse. And um, so I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is an author and speaker and Christian counselor. And so faith was really present in our home growing up. However, for me, God just felt incredibly abstract. And I just felt like, why am I following someone I can't really talk to? Does he even interact with me? Does he even care what's going on? And so I had a long season where I I never didn't believe in Jesus, but I just faith just wasn't a priority in my life and I had pretty much walked away from from faith. And it was during that season where um I met my soon to be husband or ex-husband now. Um and you know, I think just like so many of us that find ourselves in that situation, I mean, he was incredibly charming, um said all the right things, made me feel like I was incredible and special and I was coming out of a relationship where I hadn't felt that way. So it was kind of like, oh, this is what it's like to be loved and valued and appreciated. And slowly over time, things really began to change. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the first time that I had an inkling that something was really wrong. Um, we had gotten into a fight and he had, had left and a, a neighbor came, kind of caught me in the hallway of my apartment complex and she handed me a key to her apartment. And she's just said, if you ever need a, a place to stay, you know, just, just feel free to use it. And I just remember thinking like, well, that's not normal. Like, why would you be giving me a key? You know? And hindsight, it was like, oh my gosh, she was, rec- she could hear through the walls and was recognizing what was starting to go on. But I had become so used to it and it had become so normal that I, I wasn't even seeing it correctly. That happens so often too, that as you said, we tend to think that abuse is something that's rare and happens in really obvious situations that you can see it coming from a mile away. And yet more often than not, it is something that just slowly we learn to accept. And I noticed for myself, it's often having wrong ideas about God that then creates a wrong idea about myself and my own identity and then moves into me relating incorrectly to other people. And so I see where that impaired sense of understanding who I was in God's sight then changed the way that I accepted relationships and accepted certain kinds of treatment yeah. and that kind of thing. So I wondered if you would talk a little bit about, you know, looking back how maybe an impaired sense of your own identity and then boundaries in that sense may have resulted in you staying in something like this. Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, I think for me, when I hit college, um, I had had a really rough high school experience. I had transferred into a high school where everyone had kind of grown up together and everyone had already been friends. And so they didn't really have a need for another friend in that scenario. And, 
Um, so I, I already kind of was struggling quite a bit with just my self-confidence. And I think everyone in their teenage years goes through that. Who am I? And, you know, the reality is, is exactly what you said. If we're not going to God for our identity and to let him define who we are and our value and our worth, we're going to try to find it other places. And so when I met my, my ex, that was really what happened. You know, he started feeding me, oh, here, you're, you know, here are all the reasons why you're valuable. And so he became like the giver of my identity and the holder of my self-worth. And so when he started to dismantle that and, you know, to, to basically tell me that I now had no value, it was, I, I believed it over time because you're going, oh my gosh, well, if, if this person who, you know, I'm basing my entire identity on doesn't think I have any value, I don't have value. So it, it really, like you said, if you're not going to the Lord, other people are going to tell you whether you have value or not. And most of the time, it's not good. <laughs> it's not going to lead you to anything um, where you see yourself correctly or even see others correctly. And because of that imbalance of power, I had given him the right and the permission to define my worth and my identity. And because of that, you know, I, I, I couldn't see him rightly either in our relationship in a healthy context, because it was all based around getting his approval, making sure, you know, he still thought I was valuable. So it, it really can get very confusing if our identity is not in the right place. I think that's the sneakiest thing, too, when you end up perhaps dating someone who maybe portrays themselves as really spiritual also, because yeah. then you kind of think you are getting your identity from God and through God and that this person is helping you to grow spiritually, but in a sense, they're not. Yeah. Not in a sense, they're just not. Right. <laughs> and I think the more difficult part of it can be when maybe you do feel, you know, you feel like you're in, maybe normally insecure. All of us have something, you know, we, we may have right. grown up feeling like awkward middle schoolers and that, you know, there's a, a time to to grow out of that. And, and some of us, that's easier than others, depending on, like you said, your high school experiences or other relationships or those types of things. Sometimes we get into a, a, a trap where we actually might think that we're okay and that the amount of insecurity is normal so that when this person does come in, it just seems like they're giving that extra little bump that every relationship should give you. You know, we should all be spurring each other on and encouraging each other and that kind of thing. Right. So while you were in this relationship, where did this shift for you that you could start to see that that identity was crumbling and that you had a sense of what was going on. Well, I think before I answer that, let me piggyback off of what you were saying uh, just a second ago. And I, cause I think it's really important, even if you are incredibly confident and you don't feel insecure. I mean, it, it, what abuse does is they're able to take something about you and twist it and slowly break it down over time. And so it, whether you're entering into a relationship and there are red flags of abuse, you really need to watch that whether you have insecurity or not. Um, you know, Because even if you have a really great sense of your identity, even in the Lord, what abuse does is it tries to rewrite that story in your life and try to rewrite those things that you're very confident about going into it. So please don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm immune to abuse just because I'm I'm already, you know, really solid in who I am in the Lord. It, it can happen to anybody. You know, I think for me, really where it transitioned is that I started to realize that everything felt out of control. And I I felt like I was failing in all these different areas of my life. I, you know, when I realized I had a huge problem, I mean, I was I was going to the doctor to try to get on anxiety medicine. I was losing my hair. I had stomach ulcers at 22 years old. 
you know, there were physical symptoms of what was happening to me on top of the emotional symptoms. And I, I was a very high functioning, I still am a very high functioning person. You know, I graduated early, I had, you know, a, a master's, I had a great job. Um, and all of a sudden, I couldn't show up at work. I couldn't function when I was there, like basic things became really hard. And so that was when I realized I was in huge trouble. But none of that happened overnight. It was a slow boiling point. And I, I really, I can't think of a better example, but you know, it's, it's kind of like a lobster in a pot. It, it's a slow mm-hmm. turn up of the heat. And, you know, he would say something harsh and I would say, Hey, don't talk to me like that or whatever. And then over time, you know, I would get to a place where it wasn't worth the retaliation to correct him. And then I started to believe what he was saying. And so it, it really did follow a progression where, you know, starting off, I could stand up for myself and say things. And then by the end, I was accepting them and believing them. And did you feel in that, that maybe that you didn't like yourself anymore or anything like that? Did you, did you feel less worthwhile as a human or anything like that after starting to integrate what he was saying about you? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly didn't think I had any value and the only value that I thought I had was in him. And he had basically told me that to him, I, I wasn't valuable. Um, and so I, no, I, I didn't think I was worth anything. And really that was like rock bottom for me is it was okay. Either I need to get out of this or I, I'm not going to be here much longer you know, just physically for my safety, but also even just emotionally for me feeling super depressed and like how, you know, I I couldn't control that emotion within me. And I know not everyone reaches that point. um, But I think for me, it was so severe, my my brokenness in terms of my self-worth that I, I didn't see a way out. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that. And as we're talking about identity, a lot of the work that you do revolves around identity and purpose and all these sorts of things. Talk about how those early days looked and how you were able to go from rock bottom to a place of healing. Yeah. I mean, the early days were rough. I mean, honestly, some days it was a victory if I could just get out of bed and brush my teeth. But the key was doing small things consistently. And I think so often when we're faced with change, we tend to get really overwhelmed because we see where we need to be and we see where we are and that gap feels insurmountable. And so for me, it was, okay, I'm going to focus on doing one small thing today, whatever that is. And so um, really small steps consistently were a big part of that. Another part was, like I said, counseling um, and, and healing with the Lord were huge and letting him rewrite my identity and you know, I, I would sit in the car and I'd just start crying because, you know, I'd been told, oh, you can't drive. You're the world's worst driver. And, you know, rebuilding all of the lies, taking all the lies that had been spoken and dismantling those was a huge part of regaining my identity. And that's a journey, you know, and I, I think one of the things that Satan loves to do is he knows the lies and he knows what what's going to hit our heart. And those things come up. And so one thing that I found to be really, really helpful to get practical for a second is, you know, a lie would come up and I would stop right then. And I would just say, no, that's a lie. And I break that in Jesus name. And here's truth. And I would do it consistently. So any, I wouldn't let the lies build up. I would deal with them in the moment, even if there were a hundred one day. Um, and really taking authority over those lies helped me learn to rewrite the, the story I was telling myself in my mind. That's so important. That's, you know, taking those thoughts captive and just being able to recognize a lie for what it is and no longer allowing it to have power over you in the way that you think about yourself. And 
it's, I think it's difficult because sometimes that becomes our internal monologue, yep. the lie, you know, it, it just, if we, we have internalized it to the point that we actually don't even, can't even separate the lie from the truth. Yep. Can you describe maybe what that time period looked like for you? Because I know for me, for example, I have felt many times along the journey that, oh yeah, now I got it. Now, now I get it. Now I see myself rightly. And then something will happen. I'll have an experience or, you know, something like that, that helps me to point out like, ooh, there's a place that I haven't healed yet. We got to go after yeah. that. So how was that for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, healing is a journey. It really is. And it's, I mean, I've been out for 10 years now and there are still things that come up where I'm like, huh, that we dealt with that. But, you know, I will say this, God is so kind and he leads us down a path to healing as we're ready. And sometimes he brings something back up that we maybe feel like we've dealt with because he has deeper healing for us on that specific mm -hmm. thing. So it's not, purposeless and there is forward motion as you continue to heal but it is a journey and you know and I've told my husband now I'm I'm remarried to an incredible guy and I'm so blessed to have that relationship but you know it I've told him I'm going to be in counseling till the day I die because I know that for me to stay healthy I have to keep doing the things that are going to keep me there so that lies can't come back so that when that deeper layer of healing needs to happen I have tools and someone that I can process with to help help me not get stuck in those moments. So I think, again, having resources and tools and even just a plan for, okay, what happens if I get stuck? What can I do to start moving forward again, one small step at a time? Well, and I think it's finding that balance between what are the things I can do and then what are the things that I have to allow God to work in and to be patient as he works. And you have an incredible blog post about our perspective and you relate it to like a hurricane, the eye of a storm, basically. And in it, you say, you choose where you want to be, in the chaos or in the eye. And I just thought, oh, that's so powerful to think about that. There are some things I can adjust or I might be able to, for lack of a better word, control. There's things I can change about what I do. But there are a lot of other things that I just have to choose. Do I want to continue to think in chaotic ways and then do chaotic things? Or do I allow the, what I've gone through to change my perspective to just continue to move forward? Yeah. And so I want to know if you'd talk a little bit more about you know, that mindset and the choices that we make in that healing process that can help us to move through in a more smooth fashion yeah. <laughs> or may end up keeping us, as you said, stuck? Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, really that mindset was, um, uh, there's an incredible book called A Place Called Surrender by Dan Roloffs. And it's a short book. It's like 90 pages, but just fair warning, don't read it unless you really want life to change because it's going to challenge you in some crazy ways. And I read that book and ultimately, you know, Dan, um, his his wife is a friend of mine and he had cancer and he ultimately got to a place where he decided that live or die god was enough and i read that and i just remember sitting in my in my living room and i started crying because i knew that in my head but i didn't know it in my heart and so often when we're coming out of abuse or even just trauma or brokenness or even just in survival mode we're we get so focused on what we can control that we see surrender as weakness or God, I can't give you that because if I do, I'm going to fall apart. Or I don't know if I can actually really trust you to handle it. And so we'll give it to him and then we'll take it back and we'll give it to him and we'll take it back. And I think for me, it was really a season where God had, I, I finally just said, you know what, Lord, I want to, I want to believe that in my heart. 
And that's a dangerous prayer to pray because <laughs> within, literally within six months, my entire life, like I was supposed to be getting engaged, that ended out of nowhere. I was, uh, my job fell apart. I ended up moving across the country. I had like all of these different things happen. And um, I got really sick and had a bunch of weight gain and like anything that really was giving me identity outside of the Lord got completely stripped away. And it was really a rough year. But at the end of it, it was like, you know what, God, you're still good. And out of that surrender kind of came that blog, you know, and came that a new sense of identity that, you know, whether I have a job or I don't, whether I have a husband or I don't, whether I look the way I want to or I don't my identity and value doesn't change. And I can trust God with big things. And, you know, just to close the loop on that story, I mean, that it was a year season of, of living in Texas. And it was wonderful in so many ways and challenging in so many ways. But, you know, I moved back to Washington after that year and met my husband, Joey, um, have a job that I couldn't even have imagined having before that I love so much. I mean, he gave me back everything that was in my heart, but in a better way than I ever could have pictured for myself. And so I think wow. often with surrender, it costs us something up front. But when we do that, we get to have that peace in the storm and we get what he has promised us on the other side. And it's not easy. <laughs> it sounds yeah. simple. It's not. It, and it, it's heart work and it's hard work, but it is so worth that process of just saying, you know what, God, I can't control it. Because that's where you find peace. And we're in crazy days where we can't control anything. But peace is promised to us. And that's our inheritance in Christ if we truly trust him and give him that. Well, I think that surrender point is really critical in the healing process. Because so many things that may have gone wrong in our lives before often come from us trying to control things that we can't really control and giving us this illusion of control. and Or giving control to somebody who can't take care of us, doesn't take care of us. And when you can accept that full surrender to what a really good, loving God means good things for you, that he has good plans for you, that he loves you to the uttermost, that once you get to that point, then you're able to walk through any difficulties and say, but my God's with me. And I think that's just the key in life. And sometimes we learn it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one sure. of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, in, in that year where everything's breaking apart, <laughs> I mean, it must have felt like, uh, yeah, um, I'm still surrendering, but. <laughs> yeah, it was punishment in the moment is what it felt like. Because, I mean, I had been walking with the Lord and out of that um, abusive relationship, which really that's how I found the Lord was at, at my low point coming out of abuse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I had been walking with the Lord for three years. I mean, I was like, okay, God, I'm, I'm already doing everything. Like, why is all this happening? Um, and again, I think it, it changes your perspective when you realize, you know, one, I don't really have any control anyways. So why keep worrying about it? And two, he really is capable of handling it and wants to give us good things. He's not a God that, you know, is trying to punish us. He just has good things if we trust him and trust his timing for those things. One thing I'm extremely passionate about is giving women the opportunity during their single season to heal and to recover from things that have gone on in their past so that they can have hope for their future. And loneliness is a big part of a single season. It is something that all of us are confronting. It's very difficult to overcome sometimes. And the thing that is a common misconception 
Loneliness might be triggered by being alone, you know, going from a relationship to now being on your own, but the long-term feelings of longing are connected to so many other causes. So many other things are underneath the surface. I've developed a new video course called From Lonely to Alive, A Single Mom's Guide to Life and Love. In the video series, I take you through seven exercises that you can use in your daily life to help you in those moments where you're really feeling down, you're feeling lonely, but also to give you a new perspective in your healing journey that can give you hope towards the future. But before even having a look at the e-course, I want you to go on to agapemoms.com slash free and take the quiz there and discover what is your loneliness type. There's different ways that we approach things in our lives that cause us to unknowingly self-isolate. And once you have taken the quiz, you'll have the ability to go through that course or look at some of the other resources like the free guide, The Seven Loneliness Traps, so that you have a better understanding of your particular patterns and which of the resources that are available in the Healing After Heartbreak series are going to be the best fit for you. But before we even get that far, I'd love for you to go take that quiz, www.agapemoms.com slash free and just start to learn a little bit more about yourself and how you can start to tackle those feelings of longing and loneliness and step into a new life that God has for you. Well, in my favorite analogy, you know, the Bible talks about us being the clay and God being the potter and that, you know, when, if you know anything about, and I don't really, but if you know anything about making pottery and those types of things, that if something has a crack in it, if the clay has a crack in it, that if you don't reform that crack, it'll get fired and that'll be a weak point in the vessel and will eventually cause it to shatter and be destroyed. And so that remaking process is difficult. It feels sometimes like going backwards. You know, you go back to a lump when you thought you were on your way to being a vessel and but it's all for your good so that you would actually then be a stronger better version of yourself that he had always intended for you to be along the way. But we have to be willing to be moldable. Otherwise, we may throw ourselves into that fire when we're not ready and have a, a more difficult breaking process. But then also in being able to be made, you know, remade and reshaped that we're able to serve the purpose. You know, you think about like a water jug or something, you know, that if it's cracked, it's not going to be as great of a water jug as it would be it, as if it had been allowed to be reformed and then made stronger. So in the recovery process, I know for myself and something that you mentioned as well as purpose plays a big role in being able to rediscover your identity. Would you share a little bit about that part of your journey? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think again, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, I think purpose is so important because when we don't have a picture of our special future and of the value that we have here on earth, it can get really challenging to want to work through things, to even want to stay here sometimes. I mean, especially if you deal with depression and things like that, um, purpose is so important. And my dad and I wrote a book called The Blessing. Um, and one of the elements of The Blessing is special future. And I think that is something that is so under attack today, where people are told, if you don't have this number of followers, if you haven't done this, if you aren't this way, if that, you know, whatever it is, we can start to disqualify ourselves or even sin and shame. I know for me, shame was something that I had to walk out in a big way after abuse. And I felt like, well, there's no way I'm, I, I have a future because I did X, Y, and Z or X, Y, and Z happened to me. 
And so if we don't have a clear picture of our value and that God's not done with us, he's not done with our story there. He's like, there's so much that he has for us to do. And um, really having a clear picture of that, it's really hard to want to move forward. Well, I think when you're in sort of an abusive type situation, control is one of the easiest things to default to because your life feels out of control. Yeah. And oftentimes you do start to feel purposeless. You're sort of like, I don't have a value. I don't have, I'm not, I'm not an independent woman anymore, you know, that sort of thing. But I can be a great mom. I can be a great PTO president. I can be a great professional, you know, whatever it is that your thing is, it's really easy to say, well, I'm just going to throw myself into that. And what people don't realize, and I didn't even realize this as I was doing it, is that that looks like you're just extremely productive. That looks like you're a go-getter. You know, you're an ambitious woman who's just using everything God's given her to the most and not realizing it is actually coming out of a place of complete and utter loss of identity and just grabbing at straws. And I think for me, that understanding that that's sort of a a pseudo purpose that is trying to artificially create a purpose out of a place of utter chaos. And then when you are able to step out of that and really realize, you know, God, like you said, I felt like God told me, helped me to understand the same thing. I'm going to use you right where you're at was something very clear that I felt in that process. And when you can grab on to the fact that you were always valuable, that God was always working in all these things and he continues to, when you start to to understand he's never left you in that and then that he's not done yet, that it's like you, you can finally get to a place in healing where it's like, all right, what are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, and I totally resonate with that. And, you know, for me, I think my two ways of, of coping and control in, in some ways out of that were, I mean, I could control what I ate and working out. And I could control being really, really busy, like you said, overproductive. And so I looked really good and it looked to everyone else like I was doing really good, but really it was coming out of a place of unhealth in my own heart. And, um, you know, and I think especially the busy part resonates with me so much because I was so afraid that if I was just still, or if I didn't have something going on, that everything would just fall apart. I was so afraid of the silence. And, yep. and it really became incredibly unhealthy um, when, when we don't take that time to rest and to really like recharge ourselves and to just realize, okay, you know what? I, I can trust God in the silent times too. Yeah. And I think one of the things, so as you mentioned, like with eating and food and things like that, you know, when I was in the middle of all of the chaos, that was another thing for me that became, this is easy to control yep. and it makes me feel good. And that's what you're supposed to do when you have stress is exercise, you yep. know, and that sort of thing. And it's funny because I still love to exercise. My parents raised me to be very active, but now the space that I'm in is like, I do this because it feels right. good and it feels like I am treating myself well and I am making time for myself. Whereas I know before in the middle of all of that, it was in my mind, it was constantly going around, like, how many calories did I eat? How much do I have to work out in order to burn them off? Can I eat this? Yep. You know, I'm going to work out, so then I'm going to go work out twice today so I can have that cake, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it just, it's always never enough. Yeah. And you don't know, it's, it's terrible, though, because you don't know the difference until you start to come out on the other side. But you, it's not to say that any of those things being productive, I mean, you and I are still very productive people, and we're very excited about ministry and those types of things. But it comes now from that settled understanding of who I am, why I'm here on this planet, 
and what are the giftings that I have that I can bless other people with. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about how your now new sense of identity as you were moving through this, you know, identity and purpose and all that, you know, impacted your story going forward. Yeah, you know, I think really, I mean, and this kind of, again, comes back to the blessing, which, you know, really starts with understanding that you have a God that's crazy about you. And once you understand that, you're able to go bless other people. And so I think really what happens through that healing process is as the Lord begins to take back ground in areas of your life that have been broken, your capacity to love other people just goes through the roof. And also your desire to have other people want to experience that too goes through the roof. And so, you know, you're able to love your kids better, your spouse, um, if you have one, or if, if, you know, God provides that in the future. And, you know, even just other people around you that God has placed in your life, your ability to, to love them like Jesus gets just amplified. And not only that, but your sense of peace really does as well, because even on a day when it's hard or, you know, like we're all going through it with COVID right now, you know, mm -hmm. and it, but to be able to say, you know what, that doesn't change how much God loves me. That doesn't change my worth. That doesn't change, you know, the things that are really important it, that none of that's going anywhere. You have a rock to come back to and you're really anchored in place. And so crazy things can happen, but you always have that anchor. I also think with that too, we have a different set of standards on how we allow other people to interact with us too. And I know for me, once I realized that I was worthy of love, which is still a battle. I mean, there are still days where I'm like, I, I don't deserve the man God has given me. I don't deserve X, Y, or Z. And, you know, my husband, Joey is so kind about helping, helping me declare that lie when it comes up. Looking back at my life, I, I can't even imagine that I allowed someone to talk to me and treat me the way that I, I was in that relationship. And I allowed it for five years. And I, I, I look back at that and it just feels so surreal because once you realize that you're worthy of being talked to with respect, you're worthy of being treated with respect, you're worthy of love, you're worthy of great love, you're worthy of the kind of man that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, that's a great guy. I mean, it, it, everything changes in how you interact with people. Your boundaries change. <laughs> Thank yeah. God, you know, and, and yeah. all of that comes from understanding that you deserve love and you, that you are valuable because codependency really, I mean, there's a lot of causes for it, but one of the root things is that, oh, well, if I serve people well or love them well, then I'm just, you know, they're going to love me and then I'm, I'm doing a good job and I'm valuable. And that removing is that <laughs> is where you get healthy. That was me to a T. I, and I didn't realize it because it always looked like service. It was yep. always, well, I can be here for this person or I can, it's okay that they did that because I, I see what's really good about them, you know, and, and that kind of thing. It wasn't, when you hear codependency, you tend to think it's like, well, I can't survive without you. And, and that does exist. But for me, it was finding value in being a helper yep. and finding value in being a servant. And that to me, it looked like, well, you can take the hits and that's okay. And it took me, I mean, it's taken me a good couple of years to realize, no, that's not, that's not healthy. And that's not boundaries that yeah. for you to want to help and encourage other people is fine, but it doesn't mean that you should be yoked up in that situation. And it certainly doesn't mean that you should be finding any kind of validation or self-approval in, in that. 
Right. Absolutely. So talk about how you were able to learn about establishing good boundaries because that's something that I'm definitely grabbing onto in a major way right now. Yeah. Boundaries are, um, I used to hate boundaries, honestly, like, and I was not an easy child. I actually wrote my mom a book when I turned 30 called You Were Right um, because I was a handful and a half. So I just thought boundaries were stupid and rules were stupid and I live, live and let live. Um, now I'm obsessed with boundaries. Like I am looking for places for more boundaries. Like I, I want all the boundaries. And really what happens with boundaries is it is a slope, again, slow process, small things at a time, but you're really allowing, um, you're, you're setting the course for how people can engage with you in a healthy way. And you're identifying, you're identifying what okay is for you in a, in a really positive and healthy way. And, you know, there's a couple of really great resources for boundaries. One, there's a book called Boundaries uh, by Dr. Yes. Cloud and Dr. Townsend. Uh, Dr. Townsend's a great friend of ours, and it's a phenomenal book if you're looking for a place to start. And, um, you know, secondarily, I highly recommend reading Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. Um, not a faith-based resource, but incredible in terms of codependency, because I think the first step in setting boundaries is realizing where am I unhealthy with it? Where am I allowing people to cross a line that shouldn't be crossed? Because um, we get so good at, at, at blurring those lines. And a lot of times it's out of a really good heart. Like you said, we want to love someone well or treat them well or, well, you know, they needed help. They were having a bad day or whatever it is. But we need to have a really clear view of what is health and then how can we help people you know, treat us differently. And I will say when you're starting a new relationship, that is the best place to start new boundaries because once you set them, you don't have to worry about it as much. <laughs> but in existing relationships, it's more challenging. Um, and I know for me personally, there were, there were boundaries I had to set even with my family that I realized I had some unhealthy dynamics going on and how I communicated and was communicated with in certain areas. And it's a slow process, but the key is consistency. Once you set a boundary, you need to continue to hold that boundary, which is so hard for so many of us. Um, and I, I think the third thing on boundaries is just that I think for so many of us, we look at them and say, well, that just feels mean. But the reality is, is that the most loving thing we can do is set boundaries for ourselves and others. Because if someone's doing something harmful, it's actually loving to help them learn to do it differently. And it's healthy for us to not accept that behavior. So it it's a transitional mindset of going from not having boundaries to enacting them that, oh my gosh, I can't even, I, I like want everyone to just read and talk about boundaries because they're incredible, yeah. the freedom that they can bring. I love that you're saying that because I think it's part of, again, the transformation and identity and all of that. And for me, what that's looked like is, you know, believing a lie, you're too sensitive. And then being able to accept, actually, there's something beautiful about being perceptive and sensitive and empathetic. And so taking a lie and listening to the truth of it, but then realizing it's okay if I have to have more strict boundaries because I am more sensitive or because I am more empathetic. That right. even though, because in the past I would say, well, but that's me shutting people out. Like they're, they're not getting to enjoy this gift. And it's like, no, 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 no. God did not put that gift in you for it to just be for anybody, everybody at all times. Right. That in order for me to be able to function at the best level that he has put for me in my life, I have to establish when it's okay for a person to be in my space or when it's okay for me to give out that gift and when it's not anymore. Yep. And for me, that's had to, for, it has started a lot with my family to be able to say, I know I looked this way before when I was married, 
I don't look that way anymore. And actually I will never look that way anymore because some of that was trauma response. Some of that was me acting out of chaos and that's not normal actually. So it's saying, this is actually me. This is who I was supposed to be. This is who God made me to be. And this is what I need going forward and being able to just establish that. And then recognizing that not everybody is going to be okay with your boundaries and you having to be okay with that because those gifts and those valuable things that God has put inside of you, he's put there for his purpose and for your relationship with him more than you selling yourself out to having everybody like you or, you know, whatever the case might be. Absolutely. And and I think that's huge because there is this desire to want people to like us and it can feel really uncomfortable setting boundaries. But man, if you want healthy relationships, they start with great boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the people that are going to be worth having in your life will respect them. Especially if it's a new person, if you're, you know, a a new person comes into your life, if they don't respect your boundaries up front, it might not be a relationship you need. And I think that's the part we have to be okay with is that not everybody is meant to be, they're not all invited to the party. Right, (laughs) exactly. And you can still be nice and friendly and and everything, but there are different layers of access that people should have um, to you. I love that. So, gosh, Carrie, you've given just so much encouragement, so much hope. I love that you said that at the beginning that, yes, I have this story, but I want to focus on the hope. And I know I'm just bubbling over with it right now. (laughs) Um, I wondered if there, you know, just as we part, you know, if there's one thing, a woman who is in that recovery process, who's maybe just discovering what she's been through, or she's just now is listening to us kind of becoming aware of what she's in. um, What's one thing that you might want a single mom in this type of scenario to know? Well, I'm going to kind of cheat and say two, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) I think the first one is to have grace for yourself. Um, These are challenging days that we're in on top of challenges that you're already facing. And so take a minute, like breathe deep, relax your shoulders, roll your neck. I mean, you're doing great, mom. You're doing great. And, And have some grace for yourself today. And then I think secondarily, um, really what it is, is is I would just look at how can you pick one small thing and do it consistently? So, I mean, and I'm talking small things. So maybe it's, okay, I need to pick a counselor and start going. Or maybe it's, you know what, I need to pick up a book on boundaries. Or it's, you know, I need to start, you know, incorporating a healthy pattern. So I'm just going to start doing that small thing every day. Whatever it is, just start small and do it consistently because that's going to give you a pattern of hope that you can do really big things and it's going to lead to big change over time. I think that is so essential. It's it's difficult sometimes to figure out where to start, but if you just start somewhere that that momentum does truly start to carry us through and, and make bigger waves. Carrie, would you tell us more about the resources that you have? You have some things that are upcoming and uh, a relaunch that's happening um, and just how we can stay connected with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am relaunching my website coming up. Um, so that's carrietrentstageberg.com. Uh, and that will include a bunch of new blog posts and courses. And um, that ebook that we talked about, your 10 first steps of healing will be available there as well. Um, and then uh, you can find me on Instagram at Carrie Trent Stageberg. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for some big projects coming up. I'm, I'm working on a, a book on abuse and healing. And I'm also working on a, a book on how to build great relationships uh, in your first couple years of marriage. So um, really excited to, to have those coming out in the next year or two. So. And I have seen the book, the, the 10 steps. I'm sorry, say it again. It was the uh, 10 first steps to healing. 
Yes, it is tremendous. You will love this. If you're listening, run to the website. It is so, so, so good. You know, some of us have had some pretty messy situations. And in those situations, we may have become people that we didn't recognize or we know we're just not the best version of ourselves. And I love that even in brokenness, God pursues us. He comes after us. He knows who we really are. He knows who he created us to be. And difficult circumstances can actually bring us back around to saying, all right, God, my way is not working. So show me what you have. Show me who I'm supposed to be. Show me where you want me to go. It's in times like that where we can lay down these these false idols of control or ideas about who we think we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to do life and allow him to just do such a a work in us to change us and transform us. In this single season, in this healing season, I think it's so critical that we find ways to stay connected to each other so that we can remind each other who we really are. We do that on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Agape Moms. However, I've also created a new private Facebook group connected to the Agape Moms Facebook page, and it's called Beloved Collective. I would love if you would go to facebook.com slash Agape Moms and join the group. I'm gonna be facilitating conversations there, but it's also just a place that you all can ask your questions and share some of the wisdom that you've gained so that we can continue to boost each other and encourage each other as we're walking through this together. Again, that Facebook group is called Beloved Collective, but you can just look for us on Facebook at Agape Moms. Wherever you are in your journey of rediscovering who you truly are, I pray that you'll just know so deeply how treasured you are, how important you are to him, and God has great things ahead for you. Thanks for joining me in this episode, and I look forward to having you with me next time.